morning, you know, as we know, it's Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus today. What I'd like to minister on today is, is what a strange way to save the world. If you've ever thought about what actually went on, how this salvation comes to us, and how this is all going to work out, you have to know this is from God, because there is no person on this planet that would devise a plan that from the outside looking in looks so futile, looks so destined for failure. But it's actually how God made us brand new. It's how He made us whole. It's how He saves the entire world. If you were to imagine a plan of how to save the world, how would it go? I mean, if you think about it, if, if, if we're looking at maybe wartime or something, you'd send in your best warrior, someone who's strong and huge muscles and a very strong chin, handsome, like me. But, uh, but you know, you're going to send somebody in that, that can get the job done. You I mean, SEAL forces, special forces, SEAL team, whatever you got to do. What about when you imagine a king arriving somewhere? You know, in today's day and age, if a king or queen or, or even presidents, they're going to arrive, man. It's, they got fanfare. They got people at the airport make a big deal, crowds everywhere. They have the nicest stuff. They have the nicest places to stay. They have all these, these amenities for the arrival of a king or someone important like that. But the truth is that God doesn't think how we think. His ways are not our ways. You know, from a worldly perspective, from the outside looking in, this is such a strange way to save the world. But as we look at what actually happened, God is, is genius in what He does. In retrospect, we can see what He did and why it was so perfect. And I thank God that He does things His ways and not our ways. Amen? First thing I want to point out to you is in Psalm 50, 10 through 11, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. I want you to know that God didn't do it this way because he didn't have the resources to do it any other. You know, everything in this world is, in this world is God. It says here, I have the cattle on a thousand hills. When you look at the scripture, we, like, we think, well, I mean, how many cattle can fit on a hill? That's really not that much cattle. When we, the global numbers that we think of today, there's over 7 billion people in the world. But you've got to imagine, when this, was, when this was preached, when this was spoken, that, to them, that's like saying an infinite number of cattle. That's, that's unheard of to them to speak in those kind of numbers. I want you to know that God isn't, isn't uh, hurting for resources. God isn't hurting. If God wanted to bring in a king that had everything, in, everything that he could imagine and all the resources and armies, God could have did it. He's not hurting for resources. He didn't do this because he didn't have any other way to do it. The choices that he made was because this is how he wanted to save the world. This was the only way it could be done. Then in 1 Peter 1, 18, 18 through 19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know, if, if salvation was going to be purchased by man, if we were going to devise our way to do it, we would have amassed all the gold in the world that we could amass and all the silver to pay the debt that is owed. We would have tried to find a way of, of either paying the debt with a, a super amount of resources or we would have gone in and, and, and as is the way of many men and tried to take it by force. We would have tried to, to raise an army to take this salvation. And the truth is that God could have done it that way. He could have raised an army to do what he needed to have done. He could have amassed all the gold and silver in the world to do what he needed to do, but he chose not to. He chose to do it in his son. And we know that the reason for this is that, that the, the penalty for sin is death. You know, the penalty for sin is not 
giving somebody is not giving the church enough money. You can't give enough the church enough money to save your soul. And you can't fight hard enough for it on your own. You can't do anything on your own to earn your salvation. But the penalty for sin is death. And the only way it can be paid is, is death. And Jesus Christ paid that very death for us. We see in retrospect that this is why it had to be done that way. But it wasn't from the outside perspective looking in. This is a very strange way to do it. A very strange way to save the world. But the truth is that God sent something to us that was far more valuable than all the riches of this world. Something eternal. You know, silver and gold will be done away with. Eventually silver and gold will tarnish and rust and fall apart. But God sent the life of His Son. It says that, that He didn't redeem us with perishable things like silver or gold, something that could, that could die and go away and eventually will turn to dust. But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know, we celebrate today the birth of Jesus, but ultimately the purpose of Jesus was to die in our place, was to take our place on that cross for the, for the, for the pain that we were, were deserved, for the suffering that we deserved, for all that stuff that we deserved. The purpose of Jesus was to come and pay that price for us. And God says it's not a perishable thing, but it's eternal. I want you to know that if you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, that it's an eternal thing. This is not something that lasts for a little while, but, but when you've accepted Christ into your heart, you have a new spirit placed inside of you, which is eternal. And you will live eternally with God. So let's go ahead and, and look a little bit at the birth of Jesus. In Luke 1, 26 through 38, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Joseph, would you bring me up my water I left back there? Thank you so much, sir. Praise God. You see, here even in the beginning of this story, we see that it, the strangeness of how it's all starting to work out. Like I said earlier, when, when kings arrive somewhere, they're received into mansions, they're received into palaces. They have all the greatest things in life presented to them. They have every amenity that you can never imagine. Matter of fact, people in those situations often grow up spoiled because they don't have to earn anything in their lives. They, they have everything given to them and they lack nothing. And kings, when they arrive, they're received by great people of the society, wherever they're visiting. If a king or a queen were to visit the United States, how many know they're not going to call me up and ask them to meet him at the airport? 
They're going to call the President of the United States is going to be meeting them. The, the, the leaders of our country will be the ones meeting them. Definitely not you or I. They send the wisest and the most educated and the most experienced to greet them. But instead, this king is going to be received by Mary. You know, it's likely that, that Mary's a teenager at this time. She's probably somewhere between 16 and 18 because that's the, the standard time that Jewish girls were married off at that age. She's, she's a teenager. And then we go on to see God do even more things that would baffle our good sense. First off, he's going to be born to a virgin. Now, I think most of us in this room know how babies come in and ain't through a virgin. This is, this is a something that doesn't make any sense to us. We look at this and go, how can this be? This is not a plan that man would make up. How could she be born a virgin? But I thank God that Mary doesn't stand here like many of us would in unbelief. She doesn't stand here and, and, and say that this could never happen. But the one greatest thing that we can take away from Mary is this right here. She says, Behold the bond slave of your Lord. And a bond slave in those days was, was a person that was a slave. And after they, they finished their term of slavery, they could make a choice to stay and continue to serve their master. And when they did that, they had a peg driven through their ear into the, into the, through their ear into the, the doorpost, and that signified that they were choosing to stay there and be a bond slave of their own choice to their master. And what she's saying is, Behold the bond slave, it's my choice to serve you. I want to serve you because you are such a good master of the Lord. May it be done to me according to to your word. Whenever God's speaking to you, whenever God is going to do something in your life, this is what you should say. May it be done to me according to your word. What about when you're going through a tough time in your life? You say, God, I want things to go to me according to your word. And the word says that you are victorious in Jesus Christ, that you've been made whole in Jesus Christ, that you're brand new in Jesus Christ, that you are an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Then as we continue on in the story in Matthew 1, 18 through 23, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You know, the story gets even stranger as we go on. And you have to, to, to grasp what's going on. You have to take a look at the culture back then. You know, in today's society, if, if you get a girl pregnant, it's, it's almost thought of nothing these days. You can just do whatever you want. There's, there's, there's men out there that have children with 10, 15 different ladies. Nobody thinks a thing about it. And today, sexual purity has been kind of thrown by the wayside. We don't, we don't think anything of it. But in this culture, this is a big deal. You don't, you don't, uh, uh, you're not with a person before you get married. So we have Joseph, 
who's a good Jewish man, and he finds out his wife's pregnant. Well, imagine this. You're him, and you know for a fact it's not yours. You know for a fact it's not yours. But your wife's pregnant. Now, Joseph is a pretty good man here because he recognizes that something's amiss. But he says he doesn't want to disgrace her and he plans to send her away secretly. So we find out that Joseph is actually a good man. He doesn't want to have her any more disgrace at his own hand. As a matter of fact, the truth is that he probably has the right to have her stoned. He has the right to have her killed. Because, like I said, this is a culture when this is not acceptable, period. But then an angel comes to Joseph and says, don't worry, Joseph. This angel, she, she's not been messing around on you. She's not been doing anything else. This, this baby is from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit. She's still a virgin. And this baby is going to come save the world. How would you, how would you feel if, if you just found out that you got that kind of responsibility on your shoulders, that you're raising the boy that's going to save the world? Now, i got to tell you, this is a strange way to do things. I'm going to send him as a baby. But anyway, Joseph now gets told that it's okay. So now he's come to peace with it. But you know who the angel didn't tell? Everybody else in that city that's going to be pointing and snickering. Everybody else that's going to be looking down on them and talking behind their back. I mean, you find out later that, that even when they're talking about Jesus, as he, when he's an adult, they refer to him as the son of Mary. Which is kind of a backhanded blow saying, it's probably not your kid, Joseph. Because they saw what was going on. Now this doesn't seem like a good plan. <laughs> if you're going to be saving the world, doing stuff like this. Going against everything that's normal. Then in Luke 2, 1-7, through we find that we have the birth of Jesus. It says, Now in these days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. Now here's where things really start to fall apart for me as I start to think about how I would do this. Is he sends Jesus as a baby. Now, some, some animals, when they have their kids, they're born and they can pretty much fend for themselves at birth. But how many of you know that a baby, a human baby, is probably the most vulnerable creature on the planet? I mean, your baby, your brand new baby, if you were to set him down on the chair and walk away for even 10 minutes, the outcome's probably not going to be very good. The, the baby, a human baby, is so vulnerable. And this is what God chooses to send his Savior of the world in, is a, is a baby. And the worst part is, is, is we know as we read the Bible, that, that God's not unaware that people are going to try to kill him. That people are going to try to destroy Jesus before he can do what he was sent to do. The devil is going to try to destroy Jesus before he can do what he's going to do. And we find the devil, when he tempts him in the, in, the, in, the, in the forest, or he takes him out to the desert and tempts him, we know the devil wants to destroy Jesus as well. 
everything's stacked up against the Savior of the world because nobody wants it to happen. Nobody wants what they have taken from them. The, the kings of, of uh, we have the Caesar, he doesn't want what he has taken from him. So he goes on to try to kill Jesus later. Such a fragile package to send something so important. You know, if I were going to send something to you, it was incredibly important and I had to ship it by mail, I'm not going to wrap it in a glass box. It just doesn't make sense. It's going to get destroyed along the way. And the same thing such seems to us like such a fragile package that Jesus was sent in. But okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to send Jesus as a baby. So this is how we decide this is how we're going to do it. How would we do it then? Okay, we're sending him in a baby, as a baby. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to send him to the best hospital. We're going to make sure he has, the best, he has the best care when he's born. We're going to make sure that he has everything that he needs, a warm bed and shelter and food. And, and if we were going to do it, if this is the way we had to do it, we're going to make sure he's taken care of because we know he's fragile. We want everything done to make sure he's taken care of. But then we see God in another strange move. We find that Jesus is born in a manger. He can't even get into the inn. He's, he's born out with the, with the animals. No shelter, no, no anything. Just him and Joseph and the baby. And we find Jesus is born. Such a strange way to save the world. And then what maybe we would do is, 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 okay, well, if we can't do that, we have to have him in a manger. Well, maybe we'll send him with an experienced mother. You know someone who's going to have a greater chance of taking care of a baby is someone that's had a few kids. They know what to do. They've been there a few times. But he sends them to a teenage girl who's never had a child before to raise the Savior of the world. Now how many of you with me thinking that from the outside looking in, without knowing how it actually works out, doesn't seem like a very good idea to do it this way. So then in Luke 2, 8 through 14, as we continue the story, you'll find this is in the same region. There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And how do you announce the arrival of a king? How do you announce the arrival of a king? If we had someone coming like that here, even if I just had a, not even a king, if I had a guest speaker coming to the church, you guys are going to know about it. We're putting up flyers, we're telling everybody, we're inviting people. And this little church, that's a big deal. We're going to make a big deal of it. But this is the king. Not only is he a king, but he's the king of all kings, the lord of all lords. It would be much like us, you know, doing something huge, having someone super famous coming out, and all we did is tell the neighbor kids, that he was coming. I mean, we're receiving the, the king of all kings. And he just told a few shepherds. Gotcha, thank you. <laughs> Praise God. And then it says, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Is God pleased with you? I can tell you that if you have Jesus Christ living in your heart, 
if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that Christ is pleased with you. That God is pleased with you. Matter of fact, that's the only way to become pleasing to God. We can't do it on our own. So I find that I'm coming close to running out of time, so we're going to go ahead and end it right here. Going back to that scripture we looked at this morning, John 3, 16 through 17. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son of the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through Him. You know, Jesus' purpose in coming to this earth was to save us. He had to be God because if Jesus were just a man and he, he were to die, he could only pay the price of one man. But it had to be God coming to this earth because that's the only way that all of men's sins could be paid for. God is the only one big enough to pay that kind of debt. You know, and truthfully, the normal way of things is that babies grow up to be kings. But this is the only time in the world that a king became a baby. So that he could grow up as man, deal with the same things that we, as we did. The only way that he could, he could pay for man's sin was to live as a man. And the only way he was big enough to pay for all of our sin was for him to be God as well. But the Bible says that he didn't consider deity something to be grasped. He gave it up for us. And then ultimately gave up his life for us. So that we would not perish, that we would have eternal and everlasting life. Like I said, from the outside looking in, this seems like an incredibly strange way to save the world. But I thank God that His ways are not our ways. And I thank God that He sent His Son because He loved us so much so that we could have eternal life, that we could have a, the sins that we've committed paid for, that we could have a brand new spirit placed inside of us so that we could be righteous and made right before God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, that concludes the message for this morning.